Good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 3. We are about to land the plane. Next week is our last in our seven-part series of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3. Because we're going to look at this church. The church in Philadelphia asked the question, what's going to make me quit? What's going to make me give up? What's the last straw for me? We're going to call this Dear Persevering Church. Dear Persevering Church. And as we look at Revelation 3 and starting in verse 7, we're going to see a church that is not rebuked, but is encouraged and is challenged to keep on going and to not quit, even when they feel overwhelmed, even when they feel weak, even when so much is happening in their lives. And I just kept asking myself this week, what would it take for me to quit? What would it take for me to say, God, I'm done. And for many of us, we are record-keeping, self-righteous Pharisees saying, if the church does one more thing, I'm done. And some of us are a week away from quitting God and quitting church. And for others, we have persevered through years and years of hardship. And we are saying, we've made it this far, and we're not giving up. So I don't assume everybody's in the same place. I assume that this morning we're all over. We're all over in regards to our persevering spirit, the lack of or the growth and maturity that God has brought. But we can learn so much from this one church. Are you ready? Already? The church of Philadelphia, it's the, it's the church of brotherly love. Because if there's not unity and there's not brotherly love, there is no perseverance. There's no perseverance. We're not doing this for the long haul unless we're in it together. Unless there is love for one another, because when the love fades and the suffering comes, perseverance will flat fall on its face. And so I wonder this morning, are you going to persevere to the end? Because one of the things we're highlighting today is that we are celebrating 110 years, 110 years this month, 110 years ago, there was a core group saying, this is a mission field. And the gospel needs to go out and a church needs to be born here. And 110 years ago, somebody put a stake in the ground and said, we're here for the long haul. We're persevering. We're not giving up. Hell or high water, we are doing this. And by God's grace, we are going to continue on until he comes back. And guess what? 110 years later, I hope you're pretty fired up about things that last and things that, that work through and push past all the opposition. And for us to be a church that isn't just thinking about the next 110 years, but thinking about 110 generations, or as long as God says there's, there's a little bit more time that we're going to be about the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. And I love this. The church in Philadelphia, and as we pray for revival, we have a lot to learn from them that we are passionate about not giving up because there's too much at stake. Do you believe it? There's too much at stake. We cannot quit. We cannot give up. God blesses obedience. He blesses obedience. He doesn't bless us just hearing the word. He doesn't honor us just soaking it in. He honors us wringing it out in obedience and submission to Him. And I don't know what God is talking to you about. God's been working on me. God's been saying a whole lot of things. I don't know what you walked in with, but I pray that this could be so helpful that this would be one message that you would say, I will never, ever forget God's words to me that morning. Verse 7, Revelation 3, and verse 7, it's on page 1039 in my Bible. Somebody say, who cares? Yep. Who stinking cares about where it's at in my Bible? I want to know where is it at in your Bible? Where is it at in your Bible? All right. I don't know what app you have. If you want to 
Thank you, sir. Thank you for that literal response. Appreciate it. As you look at Bibles in, in front of you, those are a gift. You can take that home. What we want is we want to be people of the word. We don't want to be people of emotions. We don't want to be people that are religious. We want to be people that know the word and do this word. There is way too much at stake. And here God is saying to us, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One. Somebody say Jesus. Oh, he's the true one who has the key of David. Love it. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. I love this. I love this. Church, if you're taking notes, church, Jesus is our king. He's the king. There is no way that you know Jesus if you don't know him as the Lord of your life, if you don't know him as the boss of your life, if you don't know him as the authoritative voice that when he speaks, you say, yes, sir. If you don't know Jesus like that, I don't know what version of Jesus that you downloaded, but it's not the true Jesus. Jesus demands everything, not some things. He demands all of you, not some of you. He's the king. When the king speaks, we listen up. When he speaks, we do the order. We are commissioned. We are sent out. And every time he says, go, you say, yes, 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 I will. Yes, I will. Church, Jesus is our king. He's our king. I love the, the imagery of the keys of David. It was prophesied long ago that this king that would rise up, this human king, King David, the first real, holy, godly king, the, the king that took over after Saul, the, the wannabe foe king, the first king of Israel that failed miserably and that attacked and tried to destroy King David from taking the throne. The king that was anointed, that was prophesied about, he's on his throne. And while he's on his throne, what is he thinking about? Thousands of years ago, he's thinking, I'm not the true king, but the true king is coming. He's coming. He's coming. I wonder if David was thinking, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, could he be coming soon? Could he be coming here? Could he be coming now? And guess what? We look back 2,000 years ago and we say, the king arrived. The king is here. The king lived and he died and he rose again. We serve a, a risen king that is on the throne. Even the chaos that you read about on the front page of all of your news and all the blogs and all that it pops up on your phone of the chaos and the madness and the darkness. It's over, it's over, it's over. And the king is saying, huh, I am perfectly in control. Your life is going to be out of control you are going to be filled with despair and anxiety every day of your life unless there is a king that you know personally and that you draw close to him and you bow down low before him. Do you know the king? Just because you're in church says nothing about your relationship with the one true king of the universe. He's the king. And we say as a church, he's our king, but I have to ask, is he, is he your king? If I was to watch your life, would there be evidence that you're serving a different king, a unique king, a loving, caring, sovereign king? Is there evidence in all of your interactions and how you relate to people and how you work and how you care and how you show up to your job and how you parent and in your marriage? Is there evidence? Oh, I have a king and his name is Jesus. The fact that he's on the throne and I serve him affects every single area 
of my life? Is it evident? Is it evident? Not that there's not going to be failures and faults and trip-ups and hiccups, but is there a level of consistency throughout your life over the course of years that people say, either what are you smoking or who are you serving because something's going on in your life that is very different than what everybody else is doing. What do you know that I don't know? And I pray that out of your mouth would say, I know the king! And he's my king, and he rules, and I know him, and he loves me, and he's crazy about me, and I worship him. Is that your story? Because you could leave here with that being your story, even if you walked in, and that was not. Today could be the day. How about this, church? Church, church, Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our weakness. Verse 8, I know your works. We've read that multiple times before. This is Letter number six, and all of the past five, we see a Jesus that is involved intimately and sees everything that's going on in the churches, and particularly in the church of Philadelphia at the time, and he sees, and he knows, and he watches. And every time we see this one word in Scripture, I need some help, okay? I need some help, because it's no fun if you don't participate. So I need, I need a choir. Where's the choir? When you see behold, what, what do we got? Check it out. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Guess what? We might have three of them. Is anybody ready for that? Somebody say, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. All right, get ready. Get ready. Here we go. Behold, come on church. I have set before you an open door which nobody is able to shut. Two different meanings. We could say we have access to God that he opened the door and said, come in. You are welcome. Uh, another interpretation of this in different commentaries is God's opening doors, not just for you to come to Jesus, but for him to send you out. And if he's opening doors for you to be on mission, that God is going to keep those doors open and he's going to allow you to be able to minister that Satan himself can't even close. If you are called and you are sent, which you are, do we need to pause there? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are commissioned. That means you are on mission as a lifestyle and you are sent. When God opens the door and says, go, we got, we got a choice to, to make because he says, I know your works. I'm watching. I'm seeing your response. And your response might be, oh, uh, maybe somebody else can go through that door. Maybe somebody else is called. I'm really not up for the task. Or we live in 2023. So our favorite is, I'm so busy. Just, I'm so busy. Never been so busy in my entire life. I'm just so busy with everything. Too busy for God. How's that going to go on Judgment Day? Sorry, God. I was too busy. You opened the door. I didn't walk through. You told me to go. I didn't go. You told me to come close. I didn't. When I have time, God, can you be patient? Can you wait? Obviously, my schedule is kind of full, God. The arrogance of busyness in America in 2023 the reality is we are very busy, but the question is busy about doing whose business, accomplishing whose purposes. You are not going to give an account for everybody's desires of you. You are not going to give an account to make sure everybody's happy with you. You are going to give an account when the king says, I'm opening doors. You are on a mission. I need you to go. And there's going to be many tears on that day of, I didn't do it. I did my thing, not his thing. I did it my way. It was my timing. And I pray today would be the day that you'd say, if I'm too busy for God, there's a major problem that needs to be fixed immediately. Not someday, today. I need to settle the matter. 
I need to take my calendar, my to-do list. I don't know what you have for, for your little journal with all of your upcoming dates. I don't know if you do digital. I don't know if you, you got a paper copy, but I wonder if we just need to, uh, the mission of God every single day. Man, how am I going to fit in sleep? How am I going to fit in work? How am I going to fit in anything? I can't even shower. There is no time because the priority every single day is God's mission being fulfilled through me. That's the priority. And unfortunately, we can live with Jesus saved my soul. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. And then press pause on the mission of God that he's the king and I am his servant. Maybe later, maybe someday. And I wonder if God's just saying today, today, today's the day to settle the matter. But he emphasizes this. He knows our weakness. He knows we're weak. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. How am I supposed to do this? This is too much for me. I'm not qualified. I don't have any experience. Somebody else better should be doing that. I'm not being paid. Shouldn't somebody that's being paid do, do all this work? And God knows that we are weak in 10,000 different ways. And I, I love the compassion of God here. He says this. Do you see it in, in verse 8? I know that you have but little power. Little power. Somebody say little power. Little power. That's, that's the description of us. There's not super Christians. There's not level two, level three, level four Christians. All of us are little power Christians. In ourself, we don't have what it takes. You have little power. <laughs> I love this. And yet, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You only have this little bit of power, but, but you didn't back down and you didn't make excuses and you didn't quit, you didn't quit, you didn't quit. I know that you were on the verge of just saying, I'm done, I'm finished. Jesus knows our weakness. And in light of our weakness, he acknowledges, I know that you have little power, but the call is still the same. And he gives praise, he gives affirmation to those that take their little power. God, I'm just gonna take the little bit I got. And for some of us, we know that every single year we feel it dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. I don't have a lot left. My mind and my body are going. And Jesus would say, I know you only have a little. I know you're weak, but don't back down and do not quit and do not give up. For some of us, we've gone through seasons where we're like, I'm done. I'm laid out. For some of us, we have walked away. A little bit of temptation led to full worldly indulgence and we completely walked away from the Lord. And God says, I know you're weak. Come home, come back and stand firm and don't quit and don't give up. King Jesus, our King is Jesus. That is who he is above your boss, above your parents, your pastors, your coaches, your teachers is Jesus, King Jesus. And he knows the little that you have. And guess what? King Jesus might have the surplus that you are missing. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he has what you don't and he's a generous king that is offering it? So how do I persevere? If I feel like I'm, I'm ready to quit, ready to give up, how do I do this? And I don't know if you're taking notes, but jot this down. To make these three resolutions, I want to be as practical as possible every single day for you to be able to wake up and say, I will depend on Christ, not myself. I do not need to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, you're smart, you're strong, you got what it takes. Hate is gonna hate, don't listen to them. Ah! You can wake up every single morning and say, 
I am desperate and dependent once again. I am weak and incompetent once again. And that is not bad news. That is such good news because I have a king that's strong. And he's going to help me and hold me. He's going to allow me to persevere by grace, not by my willpower. Every day is a day to remind yourself, I depend on Christ, not myself. Jesus, if you don't show up, this whole thing is falling apart. Jesus, I'm calling you first, not last. How about this? I will do his word, not my will. I will do his word, not my will. What is God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants for me? God's word is God's will. God's word is God's will. God's word is God's will. Well, how do I know specifically for me though? Because I'm a unique snowflake. I'm a pretty butterfly and it's different. Everybody else might have that calling, but I'm special. I'm different. The reality is, no, we're all weak and we all need the word. We need clarity to the church and we are part of the church if we're a follower of Jesus. And in our weakness, we need strength and strength comes through through knowing his word. I don't know where you're at, but I am, I'm fully convinced that no matter how long it's been, or if you've never started, today could be the day. Monday morning could be the morning that you say, I'm going to get in the word and I'm going to be in the word every day. It is my life. It is my bread. It is my fuel. Without it, I am crashing and burning. Could we have some, some truth in God's house? I don't, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're ready. When you talk about your trials and struggles and how hard it is, and then you ask yourself, am I in the Word? Am I listening to God's voice? I want you just to be able to put it together and say, your misery and your lack of clarity about your future and your current state is directly proportionate to the amount of truth that you take in. If you're not in the Word, you are going to respond the way you respond to people in relationships. You are going to respond the way that you do because you have no fuel. You are on E. You are burning out, not because what's done to you, not because of the way people treat you, but because you can't help but respond in the flesh selfishly because you have no fuel. You have no power. In your weakness, your response is flesh, 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 get even, get even, gossip, gossip, slander, slander, attack, attack. That's all you can offer because your life is wordless. If you're operating on a full tank of lies, it explains your life because your responses clarify how well you know your word and how much you're in the word Will I do his word or am I going to do my will, my way? How about this? I will love his glory. I just love this. I, I will love his glory, not my reputation. I don't know who needs to hear this. The obsession over what people think and your image and you crumble anytime anybody gives you a little bit of criticism. Anytime anybody says anything, they look at you wrong and you fall apart because you're obsessed with your own reputation. I need to look good. I need to appear this way. And guess what? That is a glory-thieving life. Are you a glory thief? Your whole life is to be Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. He's awesome. He's my king. He's the boss. He's my strength. He's my hope. He is the goal of my life. He is my everything. Or 
I need to look and I need to make sure that I have and I need people to respect me and I need to make sure that they see me a certain way. You can't have both. Is it the you glory show or is it the God glory show you choose? Whose glory are you living for? And the test every single day is what happens when somebody tips you? What happens when somebody bumps into you? And every single day is a day that everything that comes outside of you is clarifying what's already in you. If you are full of self, full of self-glory, self-pursuit, my way, selfish ambition, every time somebody runs into you, guess what's coming out of you? It's going to be all over the place. That selfish, selfish. What, what happened? Why, why did that come out of the bottle? Because that's what's inside of me. This is inside of me. Everywhere I go, they made fun of me. I didn't like it. How come they treated me that way? There is no way in the world that the stuff that comes out of you wasn't first inside of you and God wants to fill you with his glory so that when treat, and could I be sensitive about this? When people treat you horribly, can we, can we be honest? Some of us are going through things where we have a long list of the way that we've been treated. And the reality is you have no control over how people treat you. But if you are so full of yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you're not filled with Jesus. You're not filled with glory to God pursuits. Every single day, you have the opportunity to reveal to the world, I'm living for God or I'm living for me. I'm weak, I'm weak, but I depend on Christ. I'm confused, but I'm gonna do his word. I'm gonna love his glory because I'm so done with my reputation. So done with that. Somebody say, I'm so done with that. That, that was so 2022. That was so last year. I am so done with the me thing and the me show. I'm pretty fired up about pouring over and spilling out Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's about him. I'm living for him. I love it. I love it. Second Chronicles 12. I was spending some time. If you just want to jot this down, spending some time in the OT. I don't know in the last time that you spent some time in the Old Testament, but I, I love the fact that over and over again, here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. Everybody ready? Somebody rises up with the anointing of God, the power of God, the affirmation and the calling of the Spirit of God. And pretty soon they get comfortable. Pretty soon they feel strong in themselves. Pretty soon they settle in. Yeah, this is the life that I've been looking for. After all the hard stuff, and I came across 2 Chronicles 12, Rehoboam, this is one of many stories. After Rehoboam's position as king was established, here we go, been praying, finally arrived, he had become strong. Somebody say, uh-oh, finally there. Finally got what I want. Feeling secure. Feeling accomplished. What happens next? He and all Israel with him abandoned the law of God. Finally get what I want from God. Gifts from God. Thanks, God. Don't need you any longer. Man, that was a hard season. We're struggling and struggling, doubting, doubting, and finally, boom, God breaks through. Answer to prayer. And they were like, ah, got it from here. An abandonment. God, if I hit another crisis or two, I'll give you a jingle. But I got it. 
The entire Old Testament is a God that keeps giving and giving and a people that keep taking and taking and then turning away. Every time, every time. Is that, is that you? I feel strong. I don't need God. It's a crutch. God's for weak people. Could, could we clarify this? You're absolutely right. God is for weak people. The only thing that the rest of the world might not know is we're all weak. We know the secret. God is that crutch for people that can't do it on their own. That's all of us. Maybe you should tell somebody that they can't do it on their own, that they need God, not because we're ashamed of our weakness, but because we fully embrace it, we acknowledge it. Every year, I feel weaker and weaker in myself. There's something that rises up of, this is where I should have been all along. Because my problem isn't my weakness, it's the delusion of my own personal strength because I don't have it. Number three, church, church, Satan hates us. Pastor, I did not know there was such hatred between Satan and Christians. Well, you do now, all right? You're welcome, you're welcome. That's free. There is an absolute abhorrence that Satan has for the church. We have another behold, are you ready? Verse nine, behold, that was so weak, come on. Behold, come on, come on, there we go. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and they are not. Somebody say posers. Yeah, yeah, big time. But they lie. They lie. We've been here before. A few weeks back, we talked about how can you call another organized religion a synagogue, which uh, a temple, a gathering place, a church, if you will, of Satan? Well, if Jesus calls the, the faux religious people, satanic, the church has permission to do so also. Is that fair? Is that fair? When, when God says, if you are not for me, you are against me. If you are not committed to Jesus alone, all the rest is demonic religion. It's satanic. In a day of kumbaya, why can't we all get along? Let's just put our arms around each other. The reality is that's because Jesus and Satan are not homeboys. Not hanging out. We ain't kicking it, y'all. Not doing that. What's happening is there's lack of clarity that there is one way. And if we're not on the one way, on the one path, then it's the wrong path. It's a pathway that's wide and broad, and many are on it, even very religious. And Satan wants to work through so many religious groups, but he calls them out. So if you're a Christian, you're part of the church, Satan hates the church because those are the people that Jesus loves. Any true church that you find, you're going, that's a gathering of people loved dearly by God. And Satan hates nothing more than God expressing absolute faithfulness and love for a people that have betrayed Satan's team. We come into the world with our own will, our own way, and the reality is we come into the world as Satan's teammates, whether we knew it or not, whether we were conscious of it or not. The moment we say, Satan... Not on your team anymore. I'm going over to team Jesus. Satan says, it's game on. It's game on. He's going to use whoever, whenever, whatever. And we are the most hated people in the world because we're the most loved people in the world by King Jesus. We're weak. Do you believe it? We're weak. We're surrounded by false believers and false churches. That is not a judgment. That is a fact from Scripture. I'm not being condescending. I am not being divisive. I'm just the mailman. False believers, false teachers, and we're always under pressure to deny the Bible and to deny Jesus. Have you felt any pressure this past week? Be like, you do the church thing? Lame, lame. 
Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, oh, Christian. Oh, oh, you think you're better than me, holier than thou. Every single day is a day where you are under attack of being mocked and criticized, and soon, odds are the next generation rising up is going to see jail time, if not death, in our country for taking a stand saying, I'm with Jesus. Satan hates us. Satan's going to use whatever it takes for you to doubt, question, and turn back to the old. Satan hates our church and all local churches. If Satan is so passionate about criticizing and attacking the church, I just want to ask, what team are you on when you walk out of these doors into your car and start criticizing me and the church and the, on the worship team and the lights and the sound and the, the color of the carpet? It's satanic. You just tagged in out of team Jesus High five, I'm now on team Satan. Let's tear the church down. That's what Satan's business is, to destroy and belittle. So every time you send a text, every time you're prone to hit social media and say anything about the church or another Christian, you just got to pause and go, team Satan? I'm not asking you to change your, your life. I'm just asking you to pause and ask the question, is this satanic? Is what's coming out of my mouth? Is this demonic? I just want you to pause and ask it. If you're married, I just want you to look at each other as spouses and go, what just came out of your mouth? Was that demonic or was that godly? I just want you to ask the question because every single day we are prone to destroy the very team that we say we're wearing the jersey for. Satan hates the church. He's going to destroy it. Do you think he needs covens and witchcraft and demonic activity that's overt to destroy his church somebody help me out he does not need any of that all he needs is vulnerable christians that are bitter to destroy the church that's all he needs is that you because god is in the business of building up his beautiful church and uniting his beautiful family in love and anything that threatens that is demonic this week, be thinking, if Satan hates the church, am I helping him? How about this? Church, Jesus loves us. He loves us. Somebody say, behold. Here we got a third, behold. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Isn't that awesome? So here's, here's twofold. Life is hard. Compromise is tempting. The critics are real. Satan's at war, but you're going to be okay. Why? Because you can say with full confidence today, Jesus loves me. I don't know when the last time you just paused to ask the question, who loves me the most? Who is committed to me the most? Who will never, ever let me down or reject me? And I hope you can look at your kids, grandkids. I hope you can look at your spouse. I hope you can look at different family members and say, I know you're going to disappoint me. I know you're going to hurt me but that's okay because I have Jesus and he never, ever will. If you don't give me the love that I think that I need, that's okay because I get it all perfectly from Jesus. I don't need you to fill up my love tank. I already got a lover in my soul that keeps it topped up. And I wonder if we believe that, that Jesus, he loves me. He loves me. Don't be concerned with being right in other people's eyes. Don't be concerned about the debating and the fighting. He says that these people that were against us, 
these religious people that attack the church or any opposers of God's church, he says someday, somebody say someday, someday soon, we, we see it right here, that they're going to bow down. They're going to bow down at the feet of Christians and say, those are the people that Jesus loved. I was wrong. Someday that's going to happen. That brings peace, not cockiness, not arrogance to say, well, why don't they just agree with me now? I know I'm right and I know they're wrong. Someday God's going to bring clarity of who are the sheep and who are the goats. Someday he's going to bring clarity about who are his and who are actually opposing his church because he, he loves us. How often do we need to be reminded of that? I think sometimes we think, well, that's for kids' church, right? That's like a VBS thing. That's what we do on Wednesday night with our children. Just tell them that Jesus loves them. I wonder how many of us this past week needed to be reminded, I'm not alone. Jesus loves me. I have everything I need because Jesus loves me and he's providing for me. It hurts really, really bad the things that people say and do to me, but that's okay because I am fully and completely loved by Jesus. Do you think adults need to be reminded of that? Kids, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Do we ever outgrow that? I don't know if you're a love graduate. Yeah, yeah, I got the love thing when I raised my hand, walked the aisle, got dunked, popped out. Enough love, moving on. I hope you have absolute confidence that every day I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm loved. I don't need a, a guy in my life. I don't need a woman in my life to tell me that. I don't need somebody else. I don't need to live in a codependent relationship where I can't live without you and I need you because I'm perfectly loved by God. And nobody can do that. Nobody can offer what he offers. It's perfect. It's perfect. God himself, he takes care of his church. He loves his church. He did everything for his church. How about this? Number five, church, church, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, listen, listen, listen. Verse 10, because you have kept my word. I love it. You've kept it. You obeyed it. You didn't just hear it. You did it about patient endurance. You kept it. You understood that you had to be patient, that you had to endure, and you did it. Because you have kept my word, Jesus says, about patient endurance, I will, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. We are closer than ever. I don't know where you're at with your end times. I know some of you are kind of like, tribulation junkies on YouTube watching all the latest, getting all the books, all right? Can I just say, most humbly, most of it's garbage. Okay, all right, end rant. So we know this for certain that the end is near and the end is coming. We have metaphors, we have images. We don't have absolute dogmatic clarity of the time and the place and, well, you know that the Falcon is Russia. We don't know that, all right? Well, you know that in the year 2024 on this date, garbage! There's a lot of false prophecy. There's a lot of misconceptions. What we do know is there is a God that loves us so much that he is going to protect us. What does that mean? I have no idea. I just know he's going to be with me whether we're here during the tribulation. I don't know if we're going to be raptured and taken up at the beginning. I don't know if halfway, beep, three and a half years, boop, all of a sudden my clothes are, are on the ground right? Planes crashing, cars crashing. I don't know if that's going to happen. What I do know is when final judgment comes, we are not going to be the object of his wrath because he loves his kids. There is going to be protection. There is going to be care in the end. 
And I would just ask, are you listening to the Holy Spirit as he's saying, patiently endure? The end is coming, but keep going. Keep going. Do not give up. If you came in this morning, I'm done. I don't know how much more I can take. I wonder if we know how to listen to God's voice. We know how to listen to all the voices and how concerned we are about all the voices online, in person. There's one voice that matters. And if God is speaking and he's saying, child, be patient. My son, keep going. and Do not give up. Do not quit. Do not quit. My daughter, don't look around. Don't listen to everybody else. Just hear my voice and keep going. Even in the storm, don't quit. John 6.39, if you want to jot that down. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's guaranteed. Maybe nothing else is. Maybe all of your comfort is going to be removed. Maybe all of your plans are going to be demolished. But we do know on that day, we are going to be raised up. God is going to keep us going until the very end if we're his. I love it. Such good news. So how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Two, two things, all right? As we're finishing up here, through the scriptures, through the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, if we're going to be listening to the voice of the Spirit, God uses the ammunition of the Bible to be able to be firing truth into our life. He uses the vocabulary of God's Word to be able to speak into our lives, and it's through the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture, somebody say all, Yep, and in the original language, in the Hebrew, all means all, and all is all that all will ever mean. So that's an in-depth study there of that Greek word, all. All Scripture, all of it, front to back, beginning to end, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that you, so that me, that we can be made whole, complete. We have everything that we need for every single good work. I hope that's good news for you. Second Peter one twenty one. Somebody want to jot that down? No prophecy, no word of God was ever produced by the will of man. Well, a bunch of people wrote the Bible. Yes, they did. How did they do it? Right here. When men spoke from God, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Who wrote the Bible? The Spirit of God did. Who did God use to write the Bible? Men. Did they write their own words? Never, never. Turn your name and say never, 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 never. Not once, not once. We got it. Number two, write this down. And uh, this, this may be a little personal for some of us. And obviously as a pastor, it's easy for me to say, but through spiritual authority. God speaks to us by the people that he has set up in our lives that are spiritual authority. Who would that be? Not any pastor, but a biblical pastor. If I'm living a double life, if I'm not living according to God's word, if I'm not preaching God's word, then you have every right to say, eh! not listening to you, I'm going to find a biblical pastor that I can come under because I need to be under authority. And if you have a mentor, make sure that your mentor is ministering the word of God to you, that they are giving you counsel that's biblical. We have small group leaders throughout our church. We have different ministry directors. We have people in our church that are set up to be able to shepherd and care and bring counsel. And God says, this is a safe way for you to be able to navigate the darkness and the trials is putting yourself under spiritual authority. Does that mean every single time somebody says something, you're going, well, thus saith my small group leader, and therefore this is from God. Eh. Fact check, fact check. 
Uh, is that actually what it says? Oh, that is in the Bible. Okay. So I am going to be following your encouragement because what you're saying actually matches up with what God already said. Confirmation. How about this? Number six. Church, church, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. Turn your name and say he's coming soon. Verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have. You've been given so much in Christ. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Don't get lost. Don't give up. Why? <laughs> he says, here's an image so that no one may seize your crown. There's an image of if you are in the kingdom, all of hell is going to make sure that you doubt, that you question. You ain't going to heaven. All of the shame and all of the guilt. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. You better hold tight. Pastor, author, David Platt says this. This is what God does. He puts people in positions where they're desperate for his power because we're weak, right? And then he shows his provision in ways that display his greatness. By you holding on, God's saying, I'm going to give you everything that you need, all those resources in Christ, everything in the word through the church. I'm going to give it to you. And when Jesus returns, you are going to persevere to the very end. Somebody say, land the plane. I don't know if you're very passionate about finishing up. I got another half hour, 45 minutes to go. Anybody want to land the plane? All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Number seven, church, church, church. Jesus will never let you go. Do you believe it? God, where are you? God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? God, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why do they have and I don't have? Why are you treating them that way and you're treating me this way? God, why'd you walk away? You don't have me. You're not catching me. Today could be a refresher to remember this, that God loves his kids and he will grab hold and never, ever let go. Last few verses, 12 and 13. The one who conquers, the overcomer, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The one who overcomes. Who's the one that overcomes? If you are Christ, he's going to give you everything you need to overcome. For some of us this morning, we're thinking, there's no way I'm getting through this. There's no way. I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. And he says, I'm going to give you everything you need to conquer, to overcome. You're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly city, which comes down from my God out of heaven. Anybody encouraged by that? This isn't our final home. Heaven's going to come down. The new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem is going to be our final home. I'm going to own a new name. He's going to transform me here, but completely there. And he ends with this. He who has an ear, let him hear. If you have the ability to listen to what God is saying, listen, listen. Is that you? God, I'm in a season where I recognize I have not been listening well. I recognize that you've been talking to me, you've been drawing me, you've been trying to get my attention, and I haven't been paying attention. I've been wandering, and this morning, you can say, I'm back. God, I want to persevere. I want to finish. Let's stand to our feet, and as we do, I just want to have a time. you get really honest about where you're at this morning I don't know where you're at but I wonder if you can be dead honest and even talk to somebody this week and say hey from this message this is what God is saying to me I need encouragement I need help 